today as part of our podcast series, which is powered by Upside Global, we have the honor to interview Jesse Richmond, a pro kite surfer based in Hawaii. So Jesse is a seven-time world champion and two times king of the air. So Jesse, welcome to the show. Oh, Julian, thanks for having me. It's, a, it's an honor to be speaking with you. Great. So Jesse, um, thank you for being on the show. So what I wanted to talk to you to, about today was first your background, uh, your experience as a pro kite surfer and then talk about your favorite technologies, and then just maybe your vision about uh, what's coming up in the world of tech and what would you like to build if you could. So how does it sound? Ab absolutely, sounds like a good time. So um, uh, to dive right in, yeah, my name is Jesse Richman. I'm 29 years old and I grew up here um, on Maui, Maui and Hawaii and got into kite surfing at a pretty young age and shifted yeah. from I would say a normal, you know, upbringing to a traveling adventure, kite surfing um, life pretty early. I yeah. went on the world tour and won my first world title at 15. Wow, and that's pretty young. 15? Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know. It was, kiting went from just this fun hobby to a complete obsession. And I'd say that's what I'm, I learned with my brother and him and I traveled together for a, a little while. and. Yeah, it was just, I don't know, it was there's nothing else in my life that seemed important. It was just kiting. And I really think that 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 obsession drove me to just put in a tremendous amount of time. And, and how old were you when you started? How old were you? Because if you were like 15 years old, like how old did you start? I started when I was nine and it was okay, definitely, wow. I was okay. very fortunate to to be on Maui where kiting kind of I wouldn't say it was invented here, but it really grew as a sport here. And, and you, you grew up in Hawaii. You were born and raised in Hawaii? Exactly. Born and raised here. And okay, it was just sense. a, you know, it's a special time at the beginning of anything when um, in 1999, there might have been, you know, 100, 200 kiters worldwide. And in 2000, there was 60,000 kiters worldwide. And it just kept wow. on exploding. So to be in involved in the sport in the early years where there's just so much energy and rapid progression, it was it was really exciting. And the gear back then was so, so barbaric compared to what we have today, which really was a blessing because it made you like as a rider have to learn about the wind and the water and the elements because there was like now there's so many safety features built into these kites. There's the ability to um, basically kill all of the power so you can be riding and you can stop. I see. And back in the day, it was full power all the time. And you just had the ability to slightly direct it where you wanted to go. But really, you were at the mercy of the elements. And mm -hmm. not, not to say that you aren't now, but it's just, it's so much, you know, there's, there's so many training wheels and safety systems built onto today. So you don't necessarily need to learn all of those things. So learning at the early stages made it mandatory to build an incredible foundation of knowledge of the elements and of your kite and wind and just how to kind of play with, with these toys, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was that was the best thing. So I put in a, a tremendous amount of time at an early age and built a really good foundation. And then once I started getting into freestyle and big air and wave riding and all of the competitive disciplines, 
it just was, you know, led by whatever excited me the most. And I was fortunate to be, um, to win the, the world tour, you know, the first year that I really spent my entire year traveling on it. So you're kind of like the, the Laird Hamilton or the Kelly Slater of kitesurfing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. There are okay. definitely some, uh, there's a bunch of other really amazing athletes in kiteboarding and there are some other riders that are incredibly well decorated. Um, yeah. but what I always kind of prided myself on was the ability to mm, flow with the, the conditions mm-hmm. and kiting. There's so many disciplines, you know, you can ride waves, you can do big air, you can do freestyle, you can ride hydrofoils and yeah it it kind of even in those categories there's so many subcategories and i would never i would always show up at the beach and try to match the style for the exact perfect conditions that i saw mm-hmm. so i was a, a very well-rounded diverse rider and there might have been there are definitely riders who are better than me in a lot of those subcategories but I loved the ability to compete in every single discipline because I didn't want to spend a second watching other people ride. I wanted to be out there. Yeah. So that was, that was kind of the, my competitive advantage was there might be people better than me at one discipline, but um, I would say no one, no one stood a chance uh, if we combined all of them. And for a long time, that was the, the ranking that I cared about the most was the overall ranking. So the combination of all of all the disciplines. That's awesome. So, and what was your biggest height, the biggest jump that you've done in your life? Well, well recorded. Um, we have we've had a number of different motion tracking device companies get into kiting because it is a pretty specific um, requirement and you know techno- technological needs that you need to track a kiteboarding jump. Yeah, and. The the highest recorded jump I ever had, I think, was 24 meters, which, 24 meters, wow. which they people have gone much higher. I think now the record is currently at 33, I, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. They're, they're, when I was really involved in uh, one of the companies, there were so many times that <laughs> everything malfunctioned that it honestly put me off the using the height tracking devices because it would be so discouraging to come in from a session where you feel like you just broke the world record and you you look at your device and it clearly malfunctioned it's it off, says, it's you, you know it it's it says you went three meters when i'm like no that was that was a 30 Jeez. plus meter jump like come on that's frustrating um well, technology are not perfect, I guess. Um, so speaking of technology, right? So we have a big audience of sports and tech executives in soccer, basketball, I mean, hockey and so on. How important are technologies, you know, to your, your line of work, what you do in your sport? Well, I mean, like any of these sports, there are so many uh, applications for technology to come in and improve what we're doing. There's, you know, anything from the human performance standpoint, there's yep. the the motion capturing standpoint with action cameras. There's the research and development of the equipment standpoint, where, you know, you can catalog all these different, uh, you know, models of equipment with different sensors and, and yep. start to compare things digitally instead of just, you know, going by feel. And I would say I have mixed feelings across the board with all of those technologies because 
at one point we are just out in the elements where it's kind of a dance between, you know, yourself and mother nature. Yeah. And a lot of times different tech pieces of tech just kind of get in the way of that connection. Mm-hmm. And then other times, you know, it's incredibly useful tools that help you feel better and succeed and then take this, you know, this passion that we have and show, showcase it with the world. So it's, yeah, it's pretty cool to see all the different applications that you can use tech <laughs> and involved with, you know, a sport like kite, kiteboarding. Yeah. So, um, so you mentioned the world of sports performance, right? So there are, we work with companies, for example, that are built anywhere from a, a smart sleeping mask that helps you sleep using lights and sound or even breathing exercise or sensor-based technologies to measure hydration, electrolyte level. Um, there's a wide range of technologies out there. So uh, that could be relevant for your sport, uh, for yep. example, or that you're already using. So what are your favorite technologies uh, out there today? Well, I've used, I mean, I use a basic heart rate monitor for training a lot. And that's one of my favorite ways to train is to do, you know, zone training. So yeah. uh, maintaining, you know, your an elevated heart rate, keeping it in different zones. I find that yeah. to be like a very simple and yet super, super fun, fun and beneficial workout. Mm-hmm. Um, I used, you know, HRV monitors before I spent almost a year wearing a whoop yeah. and that was super cool. I did. I do like all of the information that I get, but it's also I get a little bit frustrated when the 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 results or the the readings that I'm getting aren't what I want to see. And mm-hmm. there are there to me, especially with competition, there's so many times when I I might not be in the perfect uh, physical state. There might be different things that, you know, have impacted where I'm at, but if I'm pushed up against the wall and it's either, you know, I'm, I, there's a huge swell and there are big waves and we need to go out there. And it's, that's like, it's the day. It doesn't matter what my heart, you know, what my watch says, if it's the day I have to go. And so then it's almost discouraging reading, looking at readings that are not, you know, not paired with that day. Mm-hmm. So I, that, that frustrated me because I feel like there is a sense of mind over matter where if I am determined to do something, it doesn't matter what my readings say, I can, I can make it happen and it'll end up being the best day ever. Yeah. So I'd say for, for competitions, I or for really big, um, you know, the really big days, I don't like having that information. Yeah. Um, but Exactly. But for training, I find it super beneficial. You know, obviously it's great to be able to spend six, six months where we have different blocks. And I have an incredible personal trainer here that's super into analyzing all of this, this information and kind of seeing what works for me, because obviously all of these training programs are so person specific and sport specific. So it's, it is, it is fun to have one of these, I would say, more advanced companies in an extreme sport like kiteboarding, which generally doesn't have, you know, the same sort of training programs that you could say that the NFL or NBA would have. Yep. Uh, so, so to that point, so going on about technology, if you had, and if you maybe close your eyes and, you know, had unlimited resources and money, 
and you could build anything you want, anything. There is no no limitation as far as technology and so on. Which technology would you build in your line of sports and why? Well, I mean, there's there's an endless uh, um, playground of of directions we could go with that question. Yeah. Um, I would say there's there's one direction that I won't go too far into, but I've really been excited about trying to digitize R&D on kiteboarding and basically mm. create a system where you would have every single kite, its characteristics, every single board, and all mm. of every single piece of information on them and be able to compare them and fly them digitally. And then every time you made a new iteration of a kite, you would have, you know, endless you would have every single other kite out there to compare it to where right now it is a lot of, you know, research and development and kiteboarding is just done by feel. And there are different companies that the company I work for included North kiteboarding that uses technology, but it's still, it's not, we don't have a, a huge digital library of every kite ever created. So is the idea to have kind of have run different simulations of different heights so to, to determine which one will be the best fit for what you're trying to do at that moment i mean for that moment and then you can even take it one step further and say from like a consumer standpoint to be able to walk in and say i currently fly this kite and yeah. i want to buy something new and to mm -hmm. be able to compare that and actually see the difference between the two kites and see where it would help and where it might actually hurt so that's that to me has been something that I've been more curious as I move kind of as I mature in my career and move, a, you know, more into the designing phase of, of creating this equipment. And so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that for, and this is interesting, right? So I'm assuming maybe to do something like this, you would need some uh, 3D engine rendering engine and then some kind of AI and then some data analysis when you can store our data um and obviously run some simulation i don't know uh, this is more of a question for an engineer and an expert but i think that that to me that seems like it's possible it could be possible i mean absolutely it seems like it's not it, it wouldn't necessarily be reinventing any technology it would just yeah. be applying you know something let's say it's from you know motorsports or from another major sport yeah. Um, and just repurposing that technology. One, one, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so because they, they do a lot of research based on, like they, they run into those turbine, right, with the wind. Yep. To, and even for bikes, like like those pro cyclists, same thing. Yep, same idea. yep. And um, I mean, I, I, I have a good friend who's an F1 uh, driver, and he does more simulation driving than yep. he does, you know, out on the track. Yeah. Whereas, like, I that's see. where that's where they spend the majority of the time testing things. That makes sense. Uh, now, obviously, there's a lot of attention, uh, and I don't expect you to be an expert in this, but there's a lot of you know attention around the metaverse and NFTs, where people are spending three hundred thousand dollars, you know, just to buy, let's say, the the video clips of LeBron James, right, right after yep. a game, and this is crazy, right? So, in your world of pro kite surfing, right, could you imagine where you could have your own metaverse? Where you're with your own marketplace, your own wallet, you know, your, you could sell your own NFTs of your every time you do a race, right? Competition, you could have those unique video clips of yourself, and then people can buy them at the at the, the time when you, you're competing. They could buy them for hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, 
I mean, that sounds incredible, obviously, especially in yeah. a sport like kiteboarding where there isn't, you know, the same si- uh, types of sponsorships and, and prize purses as you'd get in, you know. Uh, but people would spend a crazy golf. amount of money right now, a crazy it's, amount, millions of dollars on NFTs. I mean, it's it's, it's wild. Right. And I mean, I think that from an extreme sports standpoint, I've I've spoken to a number of different kind of startup NFT companies and and looking at different avenues to go with actually getting kiteboarding content on different NFT platforms. And it's, I mean, as everyone knows, it's a sea of discombobulated information and there's, there's so much out there and yet there's not necessarily like the, I could say, you know, like the NFT for dummies yet. And... Oh, that's why, that's why, I, I, and I know this because I work with companies who do this. There are some NFT companies, we call them the tech enablers, that where they build an end-to-end kind of a white label platform that you can use, call it yourself, your own metaverse. When you have in that platform, you can create your own marketplace, your own wallet, your own NFTs, and you don't have to do to know anything about NFTs and blockchain. I mean, that's yep. the beauty of it, like a SaaS platform, right? So. Yep. These are well, the I've ones been, that you want to work with. I've been wanting to uh, just with um, my my production team here in Hawaii. We've been working on uh, trying to land not one but a number of of tricks and waves and have it be like the first ever landed uh, maneuver. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you what 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 the exact tricks are, but yeah. uh, we're working on that because I feel like having that on video and then having an NFT of that would be pretty special. Yeah, and yeah, I don't necessarily know where to go with that or how to to bring well, that, I can help you with that, that vision I, to I, life. I can help you with because I I know those companies who, who do that. So happy to put you in touch with those guys um, to make it happen. Amazing. Uh, I mean, what yeah. what do you see? Because I don't know. Looking at the NFT marketplace really open up. Mm-hmm. It does bring. It it continues to do what I feel like social media has done for extreme sports athletes, where when I got into kiteboarding, the entire goal was to get magazine coverage. And now the basically your your worth is heavily um, based pulled from your social media and having, you know, a and that's something that then you would go to sponsors and sell. But if you Mm -hmm. cut out those two like that that process and you just go straight from content to consumer and i mean that's a pretty crazy concept and that's super cool and and it so just... my, yeah so my my take on this whole metaverse nft thing is that three months ago right three months ago you had ar vr social networks nfts as a separate entity yeah. now we combine all of those elements into one it's called the metaverse right yeah so and it does. So the beauty of this is that let's say you have sponsors, right? Or you want to bring you want to bring big brands into that metaverse experience, right? Yeah. So you could sell location-based ad placement within this metaverse experience, right? And wow. that metaverse experience doesn't have to be on ARVR because, as we know, not everybody uses ARVR headsets, right? Yeah. It could be done on a web brace, a web browser, a 360 browser, whatever it is, on a computer. So. Yep. Uh, so I think it's a big opportunity to really do brand activation, right? To bring the brands into that experience and where the fans could buy 
you know, an NFT of Nike, for example, as part of your Nike, you know, your your metaverse experience, right? They yeah. could buy your video clips when you're competing in one competition for thousands of dollars, at, you know, at the same time. Yeah. So I think this is within probably within 12 months that, and it's happening right now as we, as we speak, right? So Nike, Nike just teamed up with Roblox, right? For example, um, you know, Facebook announced the metaverse. Uh, Samsung are going to do something. I mean, all those companies, Apple, right? They are going to be doing their own version of the metaverse. Uh, so it's it's happening in front of our eyes. Um, well, a so, quick, quick question for you, just playing devil's advocate yeah. here is there is still a sense of confusion to me. Is, is mm -hmm. What is, why would somebody pay for one of these? Why? Honestly, there is no rational answer to this. <laughs> the, the guy who, who spent three hundred thousand dollars on a on a on a monkey, you know, on one, I forgot what it is, the the ape, right? Or yep. there is no there's no rational, right? Uh, some people buy it just like when they buy something, it's uh, it's an impulse, right? They yep. want to buy this thing because they obviously they have the money, um, or because they're huge fans of so and so. Uh, yeah. Now, obviously, not everybody can spend a hundred thousand dollars or three hundred thousand dollars or a million bucks into those NFTs, but there's people who spend thousands of dollars on those NFTs. So, and they can resell them, right? So you can buy them, and then you can resell them, and you, as a content creator, you keep getting a revenue share of that, right, forever. So, but um, so so it it does seem like it's a little bit more of like, um, I would say closer related to trading stocks than basically anything but those else. are collectibles right collectibles yep like people buy them because it's like a piece of art it's like a piece of digital art right yep they want to get this thing that they can put into you know like those digital frames right at their house or yep. they can showcase that to their friends they look i've got this uh unique video clips i'm the only one who have it from uh, jc richmond when he won the, the the you know his eight world champion title right yep so, fair enough that's 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 i think what it's kind of a prize or a piece of art right fascinating well so, it would yeah. be it would be very cool to work with you and and the, the companies that you you might recommend to yeah. help bring kiteboarding into the mix here because yeah i mean that's that to me has been another aspect of of continuing to be a professional athlete that's so exciting is the ability to create the most unique content on the planet and I would well, say I guarantee you one thing. I guarantee you one thing. If you're thinking about this, Kelly Slater, Lord Hamilton are thinking about the exact same thing as you're thinking. So mm -hmm. you might as well be the first one to do it. Absolutely. That's my recommendation to you. Let's go. So, okay. I love it. So, yeah, I can help you with that. So uh, look, so we're at the end of the uh, of the podcast. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. And congrats on all your achievements. And uh, thank you very much for your time today. Oh man, thanks for having me and for uh, bringing bridging the gap between extreme sports and the tech world. Um, I appreciate it, and hopefully, this will just be as we always kind of are—just the beginning. That sounds great. Thank you. Thanks, Jesse.